during these two months, as we're covering so many different topics, is that uh, each week our pastoral team are going to be putting together a podcast. Uh, it's going to be available every Tuesday morning. You just go to the City Point app, go to the podcast there. Pastor Chris and the team are going to be unpacking the thoughts. Uh, I've got so much content today. So we're going to strap ourselves in uh, for the next 30, maybe 40, 50 minutes. We'll see how, no, it won't be that long, uh, to see how we go uh, in this elephant in the room. Uh, this message comes out of uh, really two incidences that have taken place over the past seven, eight days in my life. Uh, the first thing took place last Saturday. I was, in, uh, I was in Auckland, I was in Queen Street, Auckland, uh, around midday looking for somewhere to eat. And as I was ready to cross an intersection there, on the other side of the road at this intersection, uh, was a young man, maybe, maybe in his mid-20s, and was holding a placard, holding a sign uh, that had some, a statement upon it. And as I considered that, I, like, I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I'd like to have a chat with him. And so as I was crossing the road, you know how you just make eye contact with people and give them a bit of a nod? And he sort of gave me a bit of a nod and a smile and that. And so I got close to him and he took out his ear pod as though we were ready to have a chat. And I said to him three words. I said these words. I said, that's so sad. And his reply back to me was, beep off. The second instance that took place this week, I was just scrolling through social media and uh, someone I follow, their post began with these words, if you disagree, just unfriend me now. And these two incidences have made me just consider this week, uh, have we as a society and have we as individuals lost the ability to have dialogue, lost the ability to have meaningful relationships and maintain relationships with anyone that doesn't see the world exactly like how we see the world? And there's no doubt we live in a fractured world, but the world's always had polarizing opinions. There's always been differences of opinions around political beliefs and worldviews and ideologies and theologies. But have we lost the ability actually to listen to someone else that has a different point of view, a different belief, a different lifestyle than what you and I have? Because I've found that so often you and I can live in an echo chamber of life where all we are actually hearing is the same beliefs, the same truths, the same ways, the same actions, the same ways of doing life. And we can live in this echo chamber and it prevents us from actually maintaining relationships with those around about me. What, what a crazy world we're living in right now. When you look at the events of the world that's taking place right now, from wars to environmental disasters that take place to the redefining of traditional morals and values around marriage, gender, sexuality issues, arguments around when does life begin, when does life end, the violent clashes of belief systems and religions, it's a, it's a crazy world. And how are we to navigate this world? How are we actually to live like Jesus asked us to live? How are we to be light in this world? How are we actually to be the salt of the world to add flavor to humanity when we can't even have meaningful relationships or dialogue with ones is that even a believer would say, if you don't agree, just unfriend me now. The world that would so easily just say, just beep off for us so we can't maintain these relationships and so, I'm gonna unpack Luke chapter six today. Um, it's, it's the sermon of all sermons, is we don't get a lot of Jesus' sermons throughout the Gospels, is the Gospel writers focus more on what he does rather than what he says. That could be a really good way to live your life. 
is the focus on Jesus' actions, but his preaching always preceded what he actually did, is that he, he always backed up his word and the truth with the actions that would bring change around humanity. And so Luke chapter six, verse 20, says these words, and Jesus lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said these words, blessed are the poor, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Verse 22, and this is the focus of my passage, of, my, of the scripture today. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. <laughs> wow. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Is that here Jesus preached this sermon, and this does not make sense from a worldly point of view. Is that this is not my idea of blessing. Is the Western world culture a blessing? Is that God will just make us healthy and wealthy? But God's saying here, no, this is what it actually looks like to be blessed. It's paradoxical in nature is that Jesus' message is so simple, is the kingdom of God is coming to invade this upside down, thus making it right side up. But here the Sermon on the Mount is, is this man Jesus in the rarefied of the mountain having an effect upon his understanding and what is actually coming out of his mouth is that on the mountaintop, I think that we can clap and applaud and cheer these statements that this is how it is to live a blessed life but I found that we've got to come down from the mountain. We've, come, we've got to come down to sea level. We've got to come down to engage shoulder to shoulder with humanity. And how is this actually practically to be outworked and outlived? It's almost like it is impossible to do because it's not our idea of what blessing looks like. Because as we look at the world around about us, we see that poverty crushes all the way through society. We see that peacemaking seems impossible, that mercy is limited, that there's no comfort for those actually who mourn. And if you are actually meek in this life and you fight for nothing, well, you're never gonna gain anything. That, that's the worldly perspective upon this, how we actually outwork that, because we are those things. If we are peacemakers and we are the merchants of mercy out of us, if we, we strive to be the meek ones, don't we purely get, just get crushed in this earth? If, if we are one who is mourning, does the world really comfort us? And so how are we supposed to design to live life like this? Jesus said, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the elusive kingdom looks like. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount teaches to do and to be and to see. And Jesus here is not just talking about behavior modification is we can't just change certain behaviours and live a life like that. No, it requires transformation only by His Spirit. Because this is impossible to live how God designed us to live on a natural level. And so the title of my message today is Cancelled. Verse 22, it says this, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name, as evil for the son of man's sake. When I was growing up, as my mum and dad used to cancel newspaper and magazine subscriptions. That's what they did on a frequent basis. Today as humanity, we cancel each other. Where we're living in a society where 
If you have a different opinion, you have a different belief system, you have a different truth, is today you're canceled. We live in a world of canceled culture. There is a collision, there is a colliding of multicultures in our society right now. But the one that's become so prevalent over the last number of years is a cancel culture. I have a definition. The definition is this. Cancel culture is a way of behaving in a society or group, especially on social media, in which it is common to completely reject or stop supporting someone because they have said or done something that offends you. Is that we now cancel humanity because they don't agree with our stance or their stance on a particular thing. And I'm just not talking about people outside of our walls. I find it so easy. You and I can cancel others as well. The canceling a person is punishment for the perceived wrong opinion, but the supporters of cancel culture see it as this. They see it as a vehicle where people who have been marginalized for generations are able to call out offensive and discriminating conduct by people, where marginalized people and groups can finally be heard. And as I consider this, there's merit to that. That there is merit to calling out individuals and sectors of society and, and illuminating the wrong. But there is a great difference from being called out to being canceled. And cancel culture will say, no, we're just simply, no, we're just calling people out. No, no, they're actually canceling the voice of that person, not just their voice, cancel themselves. And also, for you and I uphold the truth of God, canceling the voice of God there. There's not a problem with being called out. And I see Jesus on numerous occasions calling out. He called out the religious leaders. He called out the merchants in the temple that were doing the wrong thing. He called them out, but he never, ever canceled humanity. Is there's a great difference. You can call people out because it gives them the opportunity to say sorry, to repent, and to bring forth change in their life. But if we are, have the heart where we just need to cancel an individual, is there can be no forgiveness, there is no repentance, there's no place for restoration. And, and that's a great challenge in the cancel culture society in which we live. It's okay to call out that would bring health and life and healing and restoration to an individual. It's not right to cancel humanity. I never see once where Jesus canceled anyone. And so the foundation on which all of our lives are built is this question is what is truth? I think this is the most important question that you and I must answer or even consider, is what is truth? What is your truth? What is the truth around the Word of God? Because I found even within the church, we don't have a common truth around so many of these topics and issues that are addressed today. And the only way that you and I can gain the truth is not listening to the voice of Mike Mulheron, but listening to the voice of God. To consider what God's truth is. Is that 2,000 years ago, there was a conversation between a, a political leader in Rome and this man Jesus, who said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And this political leader asked Jesus this question, what is truth? And John 18 says, and Pilate said to him, you are a king, and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? You see, how one lives and how one dies, what and who one values, what you and I believe is all dependent upon how you and I actually answer that question of what is truth, is that the definition of our truth will determine our footsteps moving forward. I pray that you would be in the search for truth and hear Jesus, I believe his nature and I believe his character is that he is the way, the truth and the life, is that for you and I to discover what truth actually looks like. I've given a lot of thought as to why this, why, why is this word so polarizing? Well, why does this word cause conflict? And I believe it comes down to three things. The first thing is that this word of God, it identifies the true nature of our hearts. The true nature of our lives is that we are born into sin, is that we live in a fallen world, and therefore, as a result, we are sinners. That's almost offensive, it polarizes humanity. None of us wanna be labeled as a sinner, but that is the correct posture of our hearts and of our lives, that we're sinners. The other thing I find polarizing about this word is that it's so narrow in its approach. Is that Jesus says statements like this, the only way to the Father is through him. Is that there is only one way, this is the the truth that I'm believing in, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died and rose again. That's polarizing people. It polarizes so many other religions (laughs) across the globe. Because this book is saying there's only one way, it's a narrow approach, and the third reason why I think this word is so polarizing is that all of humanity will have an opportunity to receive and to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be born again. And for those that don't make the decision, the polarizing thing is that they would spend eternity separated from God in the place of eternal hell. That's why this word is offensive, it's a polarizing to so many, but this morning, That's my truth. And that's the truth that God says, would you be a light to the world around about you, would be the salt to the earth, and would you uphold the truth of the Word of God? You've got to determine your truth. I see this Word as a book of truth. It contains no errors, it's infallible. From from this book, I see the nature of God, the character of God, and God's character and nature shows me what is morally right and what is morally wrong. He can't lie, he cannot change. He cannot break a promise. His word cannot be broken. His intent and purpose and power cannot be stopped. He cannot stand sin. He cannot stand when you and I are in a position without faith is that God can never stop loving you and his church can never be defeated. That's my truth today. And from that truth, I, I don't want to force it upon a world that's outside of me. There's nothing worse than trying to grab our truth and force it down the necks of others. But Jesus says, hey, you're blessed when men persecute you and revile you and will exclude you. But for you and I to determine what actually does truth look like, because we live in a postmodern generation and guys can unpack that tomorrow. There's five general tenets of postmodernism. I'm giving you some thoughts now, Chris. Here we go. First one is this, we live in a world of no absolutes. There is nothing morally truthful. That if you actually believe in a truth, that's irrational in its thought process. 
there. But I see right through the word of God, Genesis chapter two, is that there is absolute, God is a God of absolutes. He says to Adam and Eve that you could, you could eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. And if you do consume that fruit, you shall surely die. They're two absolutes, right at the offset. Genesis chapter two, God is a God of absolutes. There's no second options there. There's no compromise there. Genesis three comes around. The enemy says these words, Adam, Eve, if you eat of that tree, you won't die. They consumed the tree, death came. There's a, there is absolutes in the word of God. You can't tell me there is not truth and that he is truth. It's, it's highlighted so clearly right throughout the word of God is our God is a God of absolutes. There's no second options, there's no compromise in that. But we have an enemy today that I see one of his great strategies, one of his great plans is to cancel culture, cancel humanity, cancel relationships, cancel the voice of God's. Is it his name? Devil, Greek word, meaning diabolos. The definition of that is that he is the accuser, the condemner of mankind for the sole purpose of destroying relationships with each other and also with God. He is a father of lies, he is a great deceiver. That is why we need to answer that question. What is actual truth and what does the truth look like to me? Why, why is cancel culture such a focus right now? And there's so much research being done on it. But as I have read through many research articles on this topic, there's three reasons why we're seeing such a a surge in this cancel culture. It's been around forever. It was around in Bible days. The Samaritans, they were canceled as a culture. Lepers were canceled. People who had disabilities, they were canceled. Adulterers, they were canceled. And so it's not a new concept at all. But those last number of years, there's been a colliding of three things. The first thing is we have an, we have an epidemic of mental health taking place not just in our nation, but across the nations of the world. And this, I know out of life, is that hurt people hurt people. I read a statement from a young person who put it like this. She said, my whole generation is like a bunch of little volcanoes. Right below the surface there is hurt, stress and anxiety, and they are about to explode. If there's anything you and I can fight for right now, if there's anything you and I can bombard heaven right now, is to pray for this generation and their mental health. As the word of God says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not wrestling against keyboard warriors today, but I'm wrestling against principalities and powers in heavenly places. That you and I, we are designed to pull down strongholds. God has given you and I weapons today. Don't fight the wrong thing. Fight the right thing. The second reason why there's this explosion of cancer culture is we have so many differing, opposing worldviews right now is that movements are starting up every, almost every day of the week for people to support and people to follow, not knowing the true foundations of all of these organisations. And I'm not against organisations declaring truth, but I am against organisations declaring conflicted messages to a generation that's always already struggling with mental health conditions. There's always been a collision of cultures and worldviews. But you and I have got to get very, very good at discerning the truth. 
of not just believing everything that pops up on our social media feeds. It says deeply clashing worldviews. When I was growing up, my dad said this all the time to us as boys. There's three things you don't talk about. Religion, politics, and sex. Today's society, that seems all that we talk about. Let's change the narrative. Not that we shouldn't have an opinion on those areas, but gosh, we are clever humans. We can change the narrative. And the third reason why we see the increase in cancer culture is most of you are holding one in your hand right now. A smartphone, access to social media. Probably most of you are on social media, right? It's okay. It's like. <laughs> we now have a new channel to the whole world. When I was growing up, my dad said this, Mike, I want you to be seen and not heard. We now live in a generation that's heard but not seen. My dad was pretty wise. Let's go back to that. <laughs> be careful what comes out of that. Please don't put up a post that says, if you disagree with me now, please unfriend me. I, I felt like every part of me just unfriend that person I was following. Like, don't be so offensive. Let's have some dialogue. If you want to put it out there, expect opposing views to come. You don't have to go back and delete every one of those because it doesn't view with... No, engage in dialogue. If you're going to put it out there, engage in dialogue. Be brave enough at least to do that. Thank you, Chris. Hmm. So as believers... We're all confronted right now in our days with two temptations in this cancel culture. The first one is, one is to live in fear of being canceled. I wanna let you know today, do not live in fear of being canceled. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, expect this. If you uphold the biblical truth, expect that this is going to come our way. Don't be shocked when men have different opinions of you. Don't be shocked when people exclude you. Not that we are looking to be excluded. <laughs> but don't be shocked of being cancelled, of being silenced, of being isolated. Don't live in fear of that. Uphold the truth that God has asked you to uphold in your workplace, in your home, in your streets, in your universities, in your schools. Don't live in fear of being cancelled. One of our great fears today is to actually be called this word intolerance. I hear it every day, the church and God, he, he is irrelevant and He is intolerant. I wanna let you know today is that God is never irrelevant and God is never intolerant. And as a church, we are designed to always be relevant and to always be accepting. And the second temptation is that we can join the bandwagon of the cancelers. Is let's just jump on board and let's go after them. Let's cancel them. That, that's neither of those two things are an option for you and I as a believer. So, so what are we to do? How are we to live like Jesus? How, how are we to lighten salt to the world around about us? As I've reflected on this, I think every decision you and I make are governed by one, or two th one of two things. Every decision you make is governed by these two things, by either inner principle or outer pressure. 
Every decision I made this week <laughs> was governed by an inner principle, an inner truth, an inner belief system, or by outer pressure that made me do something I didn't actually want to actually do. From the beginning of time, this has been the process that when you and I make decisions, they're gonna be based upon the inner principle of our life or the outer pressure. Is that one of the great disciples, Peter, he heard a rooster crow the third time. It was now at a place of decision. Is inner principle gonna shine through or is outer pressure gonna shine through? In that very moment, he denies Christ. Everything inside of him that had been developed and built over the past three years was pushed aside because of the pressure of humanity upon him to deny his good friend Jesus. The book of Daniel. Three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the king of the day, sets up an, old, an idol in the plain of Jura. 30 metres tall, the instruction went out across the whole land at the sound of the music. The whole society, you must come and bow down and worship this image, this idol. As the music played, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, did not bow, they stood. That in times where the world is calling you and I to bow, it is a time to stand. We will not change what we will not confront. And they stood. The punishment for standing, I don't know how many days they stood. I don't know how many times the music played. I'm sure it wasn't once, but the punishment was they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace, heated up to maximum temperature. They get thrown in the furnace, they come out unscathed. And I thought about this, when did they get the victory? Did the victory take place in that fiery furnace? Or did it take place before on the plains of Jura when they did not bow? You know when the victory took place? when the inner principle kicked in on that plains as the music played and they said, we're not gonna bow. We're gonna continue to stand. That's where the victory, Daniel chapter six. The governors of the day make a political decision. We can't get Daniel any other way. He is perfect in all his ways. The only way that we're gonna get him is to change a law that he can no longer bow and worship and pray to his, say, his God. They changed the law. Law came in, if anyone prays to any other God, they're gonna be thrown into a lion's den. What does Dave, Daniel do? He's a high executive in government. He goes back into his house, he climbs the stairs, and he gets down on his knees and he prays, as his custom was, three times a day. The windows were open, people could hear him in society praying, gets thrown into a lion's den, comes out unscathed. When did the victory come? The victory didn't come in the lion's den. The victory came when he went back upstairs and said, you know what, I'm gonna continue to pray for my God because that's my rhythm. That's my life source. He lives by a place of inner principle. See, the frequency of our stops will determine the fervency of our steps. The frequency of our stops to have relationship with God will determine the fervency of our steps for Him. Would you develop a rhythm in your life? Luke chapter six, Jesus comes down from the mountain and tells us how we're to live life. He basically says to us to flip the script. For what humanity does to you and how humanity behaves, don't respond in like manner. I want you to actually flip the script, which means this, to reverse the actual or existing positions in a situation, to do something unexpected or revolutionary. 
And this is what Jesus does as he comes down from the mountaintops and says, this is how we're designed to live life. I haven't come up with any additional clever thoughts. You open up your Bible to Luke chapter six, it's gonna have the same headings here, it's gonna have the same scriptures. I pray that this week you go over Luke chapter six. So I don't have time to go over every one of these thoughts here, but this is how you and I flip the script, the first heading there, as we come back to sea level, as we are shoulder to shoulder with humanity, he says for each and every one of us to love our enemies. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, would you please hear today? Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. I can't do that. That's impossible for you and I out of a natural position to execute and to do. There is no way that you can do that without the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And it goes on, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also, it's not natural. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, would you also do to them likewise? Today, I think one of the big buzzwords is tolerance, and the world sees tolerance as love. And I see tolerance as the exact opposite to love. Because tolerance says this. Tolerance says you must approve of what I do. Where love says I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says you must agree with me. You must agree with my position, my truth. But love responds, I'll tell you the truth because I am convinced that the truth will set you free. Tolerance says you must allow me to have my way and love responds like this. Watch me and I will show you the right way because I believe that you are worth the risk. Is that tolerance seeks to be inoffensive, whereas love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies division, love will always seek unity. Tolerance costs us absolutely nothing. Love will cost you and I absolutely everything. As Jesus simply just said, the heading there, would you just love your enemies? He goes on, the next heading is do not judge. That this is the way, this is our response. This is how we are designed to live life. Verse 37 says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and be given unto you. There's a ways of actions and there's ways of behavior. Verse 41, it goes on. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself and I do not see the plank that is in my own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll see clearly the speck that is in your brother's eye. Would you and I live a life where we are not condemning others, where we are not judging others, where we are actually forgiving others? This is both practical and spiritual in its approach. God's saying is that I will forgive you to the measure that you forgive somebody else. Wow. Would you first consider the <laughs> whopping log that's in your eye and my eye before considering just the speck in your brother's eye? I, I love Jesus, four minutes, my gosh. Does anyone wanna give me five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, no, 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 no. Um, Jesus, Jesus shows us how to love and how to forgive. Is that there was a time in his life, he's standing in the temple, in the outer courts of the temple, and these men and bring an adulterous woman, she's caught in the very act of adultery. 
She's just clothed herself. She's grabbed clothes and she's been brought out to public here. And here Jesus ends up, it says, that he just, he crouches between a, a sinner and a whole bunch of stones. Yeah. A sinner and a whole bunch of accusers for her life to be actually cancelled because that was a punishment under the law. And he crouches and he starts to write something on the ground <laughs> and he says these words, if you are without sin, go ahead, stoner. And he looks back down and he starts writing again. And all he hears is these stones just dropping on the ground. And he looks up again, he sees no one there and he says to the woman, where, where are those who have accused you? She said, they've gone. He says, you know what? Neither do I condemn you. And the most powerful words, he says, would you go and sin no more? We live in a world that finds this book offensive because none of us like to know that we're sinners. But her response to this truth, I'm sure it was, we don't know the end of the story, but she went away. And I believe she would have sinned no more. But Jesus crouches between one that wants to be cancelled, a whole bunch of cancellers, and he brings covering, he brings forgiveness, and he brings love. It's the greatest things that he could have covered her that day were with love and with forgiveness. The greatest things you and I can cover other people around about us is love and forgiveness. There's a prodigal son. He says to his dad at a certain time, Dad, I don't want you, but I want your goods. Give me my inheritance now. He goes and squanders it all. He lives a life of ungodliness. Could have been and should have been cancelled by the actions and the choices he makes. He, something happens. He makes a decision. I'm going back to dad. And what's the father's response? Is he comes out and he covers him with the greatest of robes. I wonder how you and I actually cover humanity. Because Jesus covered them in such an incredible way to a semi-naked, adulterous woman. He covers her with the greatest gifts of forgiveness and with love. To a son that's gone astray, the father would cover a son with the greatest of robes and the greatest of welcoming home parties. I, I wonder how you and I cover humanity when humanity doesn't actually look like us. The third heading. And your Bible says this, the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 45, it says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth seeks. When life squeezes against you, what pours out of your life? <laughs> when your heart is squeezed, when your belief is squeezed, when your truth is squeezed, when your reputation is squeezed, what comes out? Because a tree will always be known by its fruit. And then finally, the fourth heading in your Bible, as it is in my Bible, says these words, would you and I just build on the rock? Yeah. Build on Jesus. I haven't got time to even unpack that. And so I've just done up, I've done up a, a table of what the kingdom culture looks like and what cancel culture looks like. And this morning, purely for the reason that I want us to live on the kingdom culture side, hey? Your left-hand side is the kingdom culture, right-hand side is the cancel culture. Kingdom culture is a place of redemption, cancel culture, condemnation. Kingdom culture, with our sins and wrongdoings, God chooses not to remember. Cancel culture keeps account of all of our sins and wrongs. 
It's a culture of forgiveness, of unforgiveness. Kingdom culture is free from shame. Cancel culture brings shame. Can I just stop here for a moment? I, I felt as if, even I wrote these words this week, is that God wanted to do something with people who experience shame in their lives. Shame by things that you've said, shame by things that you've done, and shame by things that other people have actually done for you. And it's become a part of your identity. And God has not designed you to carry shame of your own doing or of someone else's doing. Now that's not part of the cross that you and I were designed to carry. And so Heavenly Father, for ones today that are experiencing shame for, for whatever reason, I just thank you that you are God of freedom. You're God of deliverance. You're God of no shame. You came, Jesus, to take away shame. And this morning, Father, over those lives, I declare your freedom and your wholeness in your wonderful, wonderful name. It's kingdom culture, it's truth. Cancer culture searches for evidence to reinforce its perspective. Honours the past, it cancels the past. It's a place of unity and agreement. It masquerades as we the people. Grace makes alive and judgment kills. Kingdom culture is about less of me, more of him. Cancer culture is more of me and no more of him. Restores the fallen, seeks vengeance for those who stumble. I don't have to agree with you to love you. I only love you if you agree with me. Cancel people are called friends. And cancel people are called enemies. I am so grateful that Jesus called cancel people his friends. He hung out with the canceled ones. I pray that your life and my life would be reflective of this column, not the other column. Because that's how we change the world. Is that his culture, God's culture trumps every other culture. That's evident. And so what does God ask us to do? So finish this message today. Micah 6 and verse 8 says these words. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what we're designed to do. As I look through this incredible word of truth, (laughs) I know we win, and I know Jesus wins. But my biggest question today is how? That's how. Not about cancelling other people's truth. It's about living in a way that they see the truth. It's not about engaging in argument. It's about continually reflecting the love, the nature, the forgiveness of God. Walking in a place of abundance in the heart. Walking in a place where our foundation is built upon Jesus. As I see through his word, is that God always brings about change. So I look at Daniel, I look at New Testament church, I look at the Israelites in Egypt, I look at the great battles of the Israelites and other armies. I've written the formula, not that I love formulas in the kingdom, but I've written the formula. It says this, our actions, our unwavering faith, and our trust in God, plus God's delivering power, equals a nation changed in a day. My prayer is, Mike Mulherin, that you would uphold your part.
that we'd see God do his part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. In the world we live in where humanity is being cancelled, truth is being cancelled, you are being cancelled. And maybe there's ones in this place, Father, who have been the recipients of being excluded, of their voice being shut down. God, you say they are blessed today. And I pray a blessing over their lives. The ones that are navigating truth situations right now, I thank you for your great wisdom that would be upon us as individuals and also as a church. But today I wanna let you know is that no matter what you've done, is that God will never ever cancel you. The greatest wrong, the greatest error, the greatest sin that you've ever done is your heavenly Father is still waiting there for you. (laughs) Arms wide open because He is a God of love and He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of second chances. Cancel culture won't give you another chance, but our God will give you another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. And maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus or you've been in a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you once were like that, but the season that you're in, it just caused it. That relationship just to drift. You've detached from relationship with God. And this morning, I'd love to pray for you and pray with you. As Holy Spirit just comes right now and brings comfort, maybe helps make you make a wise decision today that you would believe on Jesus Christ because that is a place of life and life abundant. And if you're here this morning and say, Mike, I, I just need Jesus. Maybe even consider, I, I can't live the life of Jesus. I can't love my enemies. Mike, you have no idea what's up against me. I, no, I don't have any idea what's up against you, but I know who's for you and who can equip you and strengthen you through these times. And his name is Jesus. And so if you're here today and say, hey, Mike, I, I just need Jesus. Whether for the first time you're coming back a thousandth time, I just love you with every bit of boldness. Just slip up your hand here today. Just so identify. Thank you so much, man. That's amazing, amazing decision. I appreciate that. Is there others across this auditorium today that will just make that decision to follow Jesus, to make Him number one in your life? So look one last time. That is the greatest miracle of all, man. That all of heaven is for you. That every wrong, every bit of shame has now been washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. What He accomplished on this cross and resurrection I thank you, the Father, you now declare her born again. Born again. Old things have passed away. Today is a new day, a new dawn. And Father, I thank you that she'd follow you and she'd lean into you all the days of her life and she'd never ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for it in and through your wonderful name. And we all said, Amen and Amen. Let's put our hands together for that one life today. Blessings.